Welcome back to 28 Tech, your weekly update on all things digital with me, Angelina Draper. This week's theme is health, sports and fitness. My guests can both be described as uber fit as well as tech fanatics. First up is Kieran Alger, ultramarathon runner and editor-in-chief of the Gadgets magazine and website T3. We want to be fitter and want to be healthier, so we, you know, we'll, we'll take up a new training regime or we'll, we'll start a new diet. And actually, three months later, it's us who decide that this won't work. And I think you kind of see that with fitness trackers as well. Next, I talk to Tom Summers, director and head trainer at Pinnacle Performance right here in Hong Kong, about how technology used by professional athletes can help you achieve better fitness results. So whether you're a fast bowler running in a T20 World Final and your heart rate's at 190, or whether you're just working your, you know, your hardest in a run and your heart rate's about 180, it doesn't really matter you're still making decisions and acting on stimulus at that heart rate. And finally, Matt Gallagher, Managing Editor of Time Out Hong Kong, and I compare apps and tell you which ones keep us in shape. You'll probably be surprised at some of them. If you want to know more about the guests on this episode or the apps and gadgets we talk about, head over to the 28 Tech program page on www.rthk.hk. And now let's get started with a roundup of this week's top technology stories from around the world. Apple released a new version of the iPad Air 2 this week. Described by the California-based company as the world's thinnest tablet, it's only 6.1 millimeters thick and includes Apple's Touch ID fingerprint sensor. The tablet also includes the A8X chip, allowing better graphics in games and boosting overall performance and speed. Pre-orders began on October 17th and shipments will begin a week later. Prices start at 499 US dollars for the 16 gigabyte Wi-Fi model and go up to 829 for the 128 gigabyte cellular model. Two of the biggest tech companies, Google and Amazon, are once more set on a collision path. Earlier this week, Google expanded its same-day shopping delivery service, adding three new cities and 16 merchants. The service is currently only available in the U.S. and now called Google Express. Customers can receive products from 37 partners, including Target, Whole Foods and PetSmart. Although this is still a long way from Amazon's almost limitless list of suppliers, it suggests that Google does see Amazon as its biggest search competitor. Bloomberg's Corey Johnson explains more. Well, I think they recognize. I mean, I, you know, there's some speculation that they want a different revenue source, and I think anything they do next to search is going to pale in comparison. But I think that they recognize that, that you know, fundamentally these companies have the same infrastructure minus the delivery part of it, right, minus the, the factory part of it. But Google recognizes that they can be in a lot of the businesses that Amazon's in, as Amazon has always recognized that Google's in the same. You know, it wasn't all that long ago that Amazon had a big effort in Palo Alto, right in Silicon Valley, to try to launch their own search engine. Uh, that was a it was a big startup. It was maybe Brad ten years ago. You talk yeah, about it in your book. Right. Uh, their A9 search engine was cutting edge search technology. It's something that they backed away from. But Jeff Bezos has always been noodling around this idea of search. Amazon's one of the biggest customers to Google. If you search a lot of keywords in Google, Amazon searches come up at the top because Amazon's mm-hmm. paying dearly for that. So I think they recognize they're both in the same business. Will I Am, best known as the Black Eyed Peas frontman, unveiled his smartwatch this week at the Dreamforce conference in San Francisco. The device, called Pulse, comes with 16 gigabytes of memory and has 3G and Wi-Fi connectivity. It also comes preloaded with Android apps, a GPS, and voice-controlled personal assistant called Andida. 
The musician and entrepreneur says his device should not, however, be referred to as a watch, mostly because it comes with a SIM card allowing the wearer to make phone calls. Speaking on Bloomberg Television, he explains about some of the other functions on the Pulse. Um, and Esri created um, GIS maps on the device, so you'll be able to say, what's the financial makeup, five-mile radius from where I am? Give me the safest route home. Give me the safest route on my jog. You know, give me the scenic route home. You know, how many, um, you know, is this a safe neighborhood that I'm in? Right. So all that type of data on the device is streaming onto uh Streaming is baked into the operating system. Um, you just ask Anita questions. Anita is our, you know, your virtual assistant and uh, voice navigator for the Pulse. Whether we want to lose weight, get fitter, or are training for a marathon, it's easy to be overwhelmed by the number of apps and gadgets on the market that promise to make the task easier. Kieran Alger is the editor-in-chief of the Gadgets, Gizmos, and All Things Tech magazine, T3. He's also an avid runner, having completed 14 marathons and four ultramarathons. I started by asking him when he thought the fitness device craze began. Well, fitness technology essentially isn't anything new, really. We've had the heart rate chest strap around since 1977 when Polar first launched that piece of technology. And, you know, there's, there was a huge pedometer craze if you go back a, a decade or so, and those have been being used for, for an awful long time as well. But I think one of the things that's really changed how we sort of perceive fitness technology and our, our availability of it is that, you know, smaller technology, better connectivity with um, smartphones, lots of apps that bring risk-based trackers and, and other products to life for us with, with data. And, we you know, now that we can start to see things that were previously visible to us. We can see numbers that we would never have access to before. We're all becoming a little bit more obsessed with um, with what it is that we've been doing on, you know, with our sleep and what we're eating and how much we're moving. Okay, and that's, it's interesting you say obsessed. Is this a fad or are people really taking this seriously? Is this one of those things that um, Christmas is coming shortly and we're all going to get Fitbits and wearable technology and so forth, but how many of us are actually using this on a regular basis and actually changing the way we live our lives? Well, you know, if you look at the stats out there, you know, the predictions for the markets that we're going to have wearable fitness tracking devices uh, in the market, you know, within the next sort of two, two to three years. So it's clear people are going out and buying them. I think it's, it's a fascinating where this technology and our own willpower kind of combine because to a certain extent, a lot of fitness things can be faddish in their own right. So we get an idea that we want to be fitter and want to be healthier. So we, you know, we'll, we'll take up a new training regime or we'll, we'll start a new diet. And actually three months later, it's us who decide that this won't work. And I think you kind of see that with fitness trackers as well. One of, the, one of the big issues that we find when we're talking to people about them is it's, if, if solution, strapping something onto your wrist is the absolute solution, then you probably won't work for you and you'll probably drop it after a few months. What we're starting to see, uh, the companies coming back with other ways to engage. So the sort of gamification, we're making uh, competitions and bringing a com competitive element to, to fitness trackers, which hopefully we'll see them used more beyond the three months, you know. That is really sort of the key to the human, the human aspect of all of this, isn't it? It's not just tracking numbers. It's once we start competing with others or even with ourselves. I mean, um, I've seen quite a few people with um, Fitbits where at the end of their day, they're sort of going one more block around the street because they've got a goal that they have to reach, something probably unheard of before. If you said, let's go for a quick walk around the street and suddenly people are doing this on their own. Yeah, and I, I, it's brilliant. I, you know, I hear stories of people 
sort of walking and pacing up and down in their bedroom just to get to tick over that last bit to hit their goal for the day. So it clearly <laughs> does work, and I think it's, it, it can be a really powerful tool for, for getting people out there and, and active. I think there is a danger that people rely too heavily on it, and I think you know there's still something really important in, in fitness and in sport in general that is that community and, and, and that competition. And, and if these devices can start to bring that to life locally and also globally, I think it really makes them you know, a desirable product. Okay, and what is the demographic of the people that are most embracing the technology? Yeah, I mean, if you look at there, there are lots of studies out there that have kind of been looking at this. And, you know, there's one from Samsung. They did an, an M Health uh, piece of research that's put the gender split around kind of 55% male to 45% female. Um, and there's definitely a noticeably younger audience. I think it's about 60% of 18 to 34 year olds will have a fitness wearable. And that drops to 20% when you get over the sort of 44. Um, age bracket. I think it's, it's, there is clearly, I, you see more kind of what in the industry is sort of alpha males wearing them around the office. It's, it's, you know, there, are, there are a lot more men using these devices at the moment, but I think that will certainly change. And I think you know, when the style element comes in a little more and they, they develop, this will, this will start to cross over a whole lot more. Talk us through a little bit some of the actual devices that you are seeing making a mark, those that are the most popular and the most useful actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I think personally, from I, I've used a lot of these devices, and I think the ones that are starting to, to jump ahead are those that don't need to be recharged. Battery life is a huge problem. Um, you've got to avoid uh, having the excuse to take it off and forget it. And the minute you forget something like this and leave it at home for a day, and you'll, you get a break in your statistics um, or the continuity, then it's quite easy to drop and, and lose the habit. So devices like the Garmin Vivo Fit, which has a year-long watch battery, essentially, um, means that you don't have to take it off. Um, those are starting to prove popular. I think you know the, the Nike Fuel Band was a, was a big hitter in the early days, just because it was a, it was a beautiful looking product, and it came with all of uh, Nike's sort of marketing credentials behind it. It sounds like the gadgets that you believe will succeed are the ones that manage to tap into people's fashion sense and also the ones that have a long battery life. Another feature we hear a lot about is the interconnectivity of devices. Yeah, and the smart companies out there, the people who are actually going to be around in the next sort of five to ten years, or their products at least, for the people who, who understand that and are opening up their APIs. And I think one of the things we'll see emerge actually is with Google Fit and Apple Health, there's this idea that someone will emerge as the overall aggregator of all your fitness data. You still want to have products that do specific things. So there's a pair of um, running socks that you can wear with a sensor and they track uh, your foot strike to help you improve your running form. Now, that data is really, really valuable, but you want it to plug into to your other data about your activity. And so while you have these niche products, I think it's really important that someone will be able to pull them all together into one place and create this, this overall sort of 360 picture of your health. And I think that goes from when you're being really active back into, you know, your normal daily routine, which is which, where actually you'll, you'll be able to make the most change. Okay. And what do you think is going to be the, um, the next big thing? I've, I've been speaking to a couple of companies who I think are doing really fascinating things. There's a company in the UK called Smart Life who are developing smart garments, smaller sensors in them, and allow you to place sensors in more places on the body that aren't, and also into sort of everyday uh, clothes bras and, and, and uh, boxer shorts and things like this. And they'll enable you to track a whole lot more um, data points. So, for example, they were saying that they can they can see a difference in heart rate when you drink a cup of coffee. Um, okay. It will monitor your breathing. It will monitor your muscle twitch if you're actually doing sport. And the, you can start to gather more data points, and they'll be able to do a full kind of 360 body monitoring 
and also 24 7. Wow. Okay. So you'll, you'll literally be able to see how your life is, is affecting or your lifestyle is affecting your health and fitness in a far more detailed way. And I think that's going to be fascinating, particularly in normal clothes. Yes, fascinating and perhaps a little bit scary. I'm a bit concerned about knowing how, the effect of all the coffee I have during the day. But, uh, Kieran, thank you ever exactly. so much for yeah, joining yeah. us. My next guest is Tom Summers. Tom is a Nike professional trainer who opened a gym in Hong Kong called Pinnacle Performance. But he also has a lot of experience training professional athletes. He worked with the Yorkshire cricket team as well as the Zimbabwe international cricket team. I asked Tom how he defines who is an athlete. So for me, an athlete is anybody who's got a performance goal, something they're training for, uh, they're competing in. Could be a weekend rugby match, could be a 10K, could be as far as you want to scale it. Professional okay. athletes are paid, but for me, anybody who's got a goal is an athlete. Tell me a little bit about the technology that people, whether professional athletes or even some of the people you're working with who aren't necessarily professional athletes, but are actually using to achieve the goals that they've set. I think all your technology nowadays empowers uh, your members, or your, your, like you say, your social, your weekend trainers, athletes, to record and almost database what they're doing. So you could have your GPS watch, which records how far you're running, or you could have your app that records what you're eating and how you're sleeping. The key thing is that whatever your goal is, there's a short-term path to make sure you're ticking the little boxes to achieve that. Uh, and technology nowadays enables people to record their, their route to performance a little bit more easily. So we know that some things that we use on an everyday basis um, that we take for granted were actually invented by space agencies like NASA, and then they've trickled down into the consumer, consumer goods. Are there any gadgets or tools that athletes use today, whether professional or recreational, that were, however, initially set up just for professional training? Mm, you, probably your, your biggest couple that most people know will be your global positioning systems. So they'll watch their uh, Sky Sports on a weekend and their, and their football, and they'll see how far their favourite player is running and how many turns they're making. Now they can go into a shop and buy um, an app or they can buy a device on their watch that tracks how far they run around the city. Okay. You can also, you know, your example, they have NASA, where these guys have been recording biofeedback, so heart rate and um, sweat rate for, for years to see if their decision-making under pressure is still as accurate and efficient as ever. Nowadays, again, you can go and spend £20 and buy yourself um, a, a heart rate strap, stick it on, and then when you're training or competing or just you know being in the gym, are you within the threshold that you want to train at for performance? And if you're not, how can you improve it? When we're talking about emotion, actually, so mm. actually our heart rate and how we should be measuring it, not just when we're doing physical fitness, but um, you mentioned earlier on just the emotional impact of how that can affect our heart rate when we're working out. Yeah, okay. well, arousal level is going to increase uh, your kind of your biological response. So whether you're a fast bowler running in a T20 World Final and your heart rate's at 190, or whether you're just working your, you know, your hardest in a run and your heart rate's about 180. It doesn't really matter. You're still making decisions and acting on stimulus at that heart rate, and it's harder to make the right decision. So if you're going to truly replicate that practice situation, you have to lift everything into a controlled environment. And, and that's what I don't think people do enough. I don't, certainly team sports, you can practice when it's easy, but then the very best athletes in the world execute it when it's the hardest so your golfers and their tiny tiny delicate shots under pressure for the last shot of the game they will practice under those same situations and they will try to 
um, kind of assimilate those environmental um, risks as much as they can. So when it happens, it's not new. Their heart rate being at 180 to make a two-foot putt isn't new for them because they've rehearsed that in a, in a closed environment. Okay, so for our listeners who might want to um, up their game and who might mm-hmm. want to increase um, their performance levels, one of the things is the possibility to actually track their or compare their performance against their favorite athletes or their the stars that they're following. Or uh, Tell me a little bit about that, how they can do that and what are the tools that they can use. I think again, kind of falling back on the on the heart rate or the the GPS examples, um, because they're more comparable. You don't really want to know about how your best or your favourite football player is sleeping. You know, they're great <laughs> yeah. apps and they're great for individuals to understand and and try to um, kind of work with. But they don't care how you, you know your cricket players are sleeping. Ultimately, if you know that your favourite rugby player is covering X amount of distance, and therefore you're you're following them, you're watching them, you're aspiring to perform like them. On a really basic level, if they're covering more distance, chances are they're in a they're finding themselves in a more suitable position on the field more often. It's not as simple as the further you run, the better you are at sport. Not at all. But if you're covering 5k more distance than your opponent, you're probably making more opportunities for yourself to execute the skill you've been practicing. So, for instance, if a lot of people who like to watch football, for example, everybody's an expert when they're watching it from, yeah. from the sideline, exactly. Yeah. Um, but if they wanted to compare themselves to Messi or to one of the other football players, how could they do that? And what are some of the data points that they would track? A lot of your your big sporting competitions now have a lot of uh, biofeedbacks in them. So you, mm. can, you can see distances. You can see it in NFL, you can see it in NBA, you can see it in the premiership. And it's as simple as when they get substituted at the end of the game, even in newspapers now tend to track how far they've travelled. A number's going to lie. If someone says they've travelled 10 kilometres, do you then go and walk 10 kilometres to replicate a very intermittent nature of 100, 100 metre sprints? Of course you don't. Mm. And that's where you've got to be careful with the numbers. But ultimately, if you're playing the same game and you're wearing a watered-down version of the same technology, so you're wearing a heart rate strap and they were wearing one as well, you can compare yourself directly. And whether, whether you're doing the exact same movements, of course you're not. You might not even be playing on the same pitch. But if you're trying to get the same response and you, you dream of being the Messi, you dream of being the Ronaldo, they're covering 17 kilometres in a match or your fast bowler's covering 20 kilometres in a day and you're covering six then that's another way for the for the general public and that's what a lot of people find interesting is to understand quite what these guys do. Now what are some of the fallbacks that um, people who rely on technology too much or think right I've gone out I've spent a fortune I've bought all the gadgets I've got everything you know my shoes my socks my my t-shirt everything's talking to me. Um, Now you work with professional athletes how much do they rely on all of this? Some of them too much. Um, I think, you know, having worked with, with triathletes before and seeing the longer distance Ironman triathletes, a lot of what you're preparing in the threshold work, so you're cycling and you're running particularly, is based on how your body's responding to the workload. So if you're cycling and you're training at a certain wattage to get the best output of that session, when you then get on the bike on race day, if all you've been watching is a wattage output, is a 220 or 240 watts for three hours, and your power meter breaks... You know, I've seen people and, and worked with people in the past who've gone into a complete frenzy then of panic. Well, I don't know if I'm working in the right zone because they've been so focused on the number, they haven't actually sat back on how it feels. Mobile apps are one of the best ways for us to track our performance, and there are many of them out there. 
Time Out Hong Kong's managing editor Matt Gallagher sat down with me this week and shared some of his favorite apps to stay fit. So I've been looking at Zombies Run, okay, which uh, is a little bit different, <laughs> um, and also Sleep Cycle and the iOS 8's new health kit. Fantastic. Let's start off with Zombies Run because uh, I have to tell you that's that's very intriguing. Yeah, it's a little bit different. So it um, it kind of takes your your normal workout. Um, and gives it a bit of a storyline. So, so the idea of this app is that um, while you're on your workout, you are following the story. You, you've got to pick up clues and uh, pick up uh, parcels on the way and, and escape zombies as well. So, you so get, it sounds like being in a video game, actually. Yeah, it is kind of like a video game. So you start off with a little introduction um, and they set the scene. And then you start off, um, you can actually either walk or run with this. Okay. So you don't need to kind of set their pace to start with so you can you can just take a leisurely walk and try, help me to envision this a little bit i'm walking down the streets of hong kong yep. and uh, there's somebody talking in my ear telling me the story of where yeah, i'm so you, where you I'm start at. off with a, a an introduction and then you can actually play your music um so it'll take your playlist okay um from your phone and and then it'll kind of interrupt with various bits of of audio um so when you You'll collect certain things along the street. So on the way here today, I, I collected a couple of axes and a, a mobile phone and a pair of underwear. And, and okay. yeah, so you, you collect these bits as you go along. And and then at certain points, you'll you'll be told that there's zombies close. And at that point, you're meant to run. Yeah, yeah, you you kind of pick From up the your pace. So um, <laughs> so if you're walking, you can go to a faster walk or a slight okay. jog or. If you are running, then, yeah, you've got to pick up the pace. And how effective did you find it? I mean, did you actually find it's yourself good, a yeah. bit the heart rate pumping here and getting a bit stressed from the zombies coming there's, to get yeah, you? Yeah, there's definitely competition because otherwise, you know, you, you, you get caught and the points go down in the game. So you've got to, um, you've got to go for it. Which, and um, you mentioned competition. Is, yeah. the, is this one of these where one of these apps where you can interact as a community? I can race my, my pals and so Yeah, forth? you can do. Yeah, there is a kind of a desktop version that you can log into and kind of see your progress against other people. Um, okay, or and you that's can just, a- you know, play it for yourself and just get through the missions. And there's, you know, the, the, the basic set, we're now on the, the third update. Um, so there's lots of missions already on there. And, of course, there's in-app purchases as well for lots more as well. There you go. So if you've ever dreamt of being in an action-packed film and you want to lose a bit of weight to get a bit fitter, that's uh, Zombies Run. Zombies Run. All right, so tell me about your next app. Okay, so we've got Sleep Cycle. Okay, sounds like the total opposite of Zombies Run. Yeah, it's a little bit different. It's, um, so the idea of this app is that it will help you work out the best time to wake up. So you've got different stages of sleep, and you've got your deep sleep and your lighter sleep. And if you get woken up in your lighter sleep, it, you feel better during the day and you have a better quality of sleep overall. Um, so the idea of this is it actually monitors your sleep overnight. You can set a rough alarm time, and it will wake you up at the best point within that period and do i need any additional gadgets to go with this or is it just the phone it's just the phone and the app so it will actually use the the phone's kind of microphone accelerometer um to actually monitor your movements in the bed and kind of work out at what stage of sleep you're in it's so how much i'm tossing and turning yeah, and yeah so kind of any forth. movements and I, I i can't remember which we're in whether you're still or whether you're moving but right. it works out from that and then when it finds the best point to wake you up, it, you can set your, your, the different alarm sounds to go off at that point. And what's your next app? So the next one is uh, it's a new feature on the iOS 8 platform for Apple, and it's, it's, it's just called Health. 
Um, and it basically it works as a, a hub for all of your um, fitness and um, calorie counting and all the kind of devices that are, are measuring things that you're doing. So pretty much everything we'll be talking about here. So this is something that I can go to the doctor with and have my full report and hopefully we'll be able to help the doctor assess a little bit quicker what my what my health state state of health is. Yeah, in theory. like you, Everything that, that comes in you then see in a graphical form and, and so you can see you know, what fitness you've been doing, your nutritional values. Um, everything that you're, you're recording all comes onto that one screen in a graphical form. Um, and on top of that, you've also got um, a medical data as well, um, which is actually quite useful if uh, it's almost like you carry a donor card. It it's kind of has all that essential information that if something should happen to you and you've got an emergency situation, um, all of that information is stored onto your phone. And, and it's accessible from that, that main screen that people can access. My app is actually called My Fitness Pal, and it's very, very widely used around the world, which is what makes the app so so good, is that it's, it's filled with food, uh, nutritional facts from foods all over the world, whether they're branded or not. And the purpose of it is, is to help you track the calories we consume. You can set yourself a daily goal. And what's nice about it is that it has a, which is my favorite um, feature of the app, it has a barcode scanner, so very easily if I want to simply add something that I've had, whether it's two slices of, uh, of toast and I've got the packet at home or a bowl of cornflakes or anything like that, I can actually just take the package and scan the barcode with my mobile phone and automatically MyFitnessPal, the app, gets updated with all of the nutritional information of the food item that I'm trying to add, which just just takes so much hassle out of adding you know, the, the calories, the fat, the uh, carbs and so so forth and it, it there's really uh, there are no excuses anymore for not tracking the food that we're eating and the thing that I found most useful is that it's amazing what a difference it makes and how it opens your eyes to the difference between say a teaspoon of olive oil and a tablespoon of olive oil and how many calories that actually uses up in your from your daily allowance it also integrates with a lot of um, the popular um, uh, fitness trackers such as Fitbit for instance so that um, if you're wearing a Fitbit device or any other popular device that uh, my fitness pal is connected to the the exercise that you have done during the day those calories that you have earned will be added to your profile for the day so it balances out what you're burning and what you're earning um, and obviously like most of these apps full of data full of information so it's not just about um, the calories that you're consuming but you can see whether perhaps you have too many carbs or whether your your diet is very protein heavy and so if you want to make any adjustments it, with a very easy pie chart and so forth you can see how that's working well that's it for this week's episode for a summary of my guests and the apps and gadgets we talked about, head on over to RTHK's website. And remember, you can email me at 28tech at rthk.hk.